Amen, amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat. And as you do, go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to continue in our study this morning in the book of Acts together. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black one somewhere right around you. That's our gift to you. We want our eyes on God's Word together this morning. Now, uh, typically when I preach, I don't usually sit like this, um, but I woke up and something's, something's got me. So my stomach doesn't feel very good. Um, it caused some things early on this morning, and so, um, so we're, we're going to power through, but it feels a lot better to sit uh, than it does to stand. So um, my, my wife lovingly reminded me that, because uh, this is not ideal for me, I'm, I like to move around. Um, I feel like constrained, uh, constrained on a chair, and she said, this isn't about you. I was like, oh, thank you. I think that's exactly what I needed to hear, but it really was. Um, Every time that somebody gets up here to preach the word, it has nothing to do with the messenger and everything to do with the message. And I praise God for that. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting on a chair, standing on a stage, the word of God will go forth this morning. And I believe that with all my heart. We're excited for it. Excited for what God has in store for us. I remember uh, years ago when I was first learning how to drive a car. When I was first learning how to drive a car, there were, whether it was with my mom or my dad, there was a couple things that I consistently heard uh, from my parents as I was learning how to drive. And, and they were this. One um, was break sooner. Break sooner. I was the classic, like, wait till you're at the stop sign and then hit the brake. That's how it works, right? My parents were constantly, hey, break sooner, break sooner, break sooner. That was one thing I constantly heard. The other thing I constantly heard was slow down and back off. I was the student driver that's like right on your tail as you're driving your car, and my parents constantly slow down and back off, slow down and back off. Anybody currently working on getting their license, going through this process? Yeah, if you need someone to talk to after the service, I can be here, or parents, I can be here too to help counsel you through a great experience of student driving. Uh, but, But after a while, my parents said this over and over and over, and I remember finally I started looking back at them and say, Mom, I know. Dad, I know. You've told me a thousand times, hey, hit the brakes sooner. I know, Dad. I know, Mom. The reality is, I didn't know. I had been driving for like weeks at that point. I didn't know what I was doing. I needed the constant reminder to slow down, to hit the brakes sooner, to like back off the car in front of me. I needed to hear those constant reminders. I think it's important for us this morning to realize here in the book of Acts, we're just over halfway through our study in the book of Acts together. It's been an awesome study. I think God has done a great work, but I think this morning we need a bit of a gut check because what can happen as we we start to like spend a lot of time in a book, it can start to just feel like the same thing over and over and over. And we can start to go like, okay, I've heard this. I can kind of check out and God, I know, I know, I know I should live on mission. I know we see every time we get to this, like there's people praying. I know I should pray. I know God, I know. And I'll be honest, when I first opened my Bible to look at the passage that we had for this morning, I read through the story and I was like, oh, come on. This feels like the same thing that we've read a lot of times, just maybe some different people, but it feels like the same story over and over. But I'm here to tell you, as I got to dive into this study, as I got to dive into this story, God did a fresh work in my heart. And I think he has a fresh word for us this morning 
as we study a great story of God working. We're going to see a similar cycle in the story that we're going to walk through today as we've seen in a lot of the stories in the book of Acts. And that cycle goes like this. We're going to see God send out his people. We've seen that all throughout the book of Acts. God is ascending God and he sends us out. In response, we've seen people go. They answer the call and they go. They bring the gospel to lost people. And as they do, we've been able to see constantly uh, as the gospel is taken, there's opposition. And sometimes it's in the form of persecution. Sometimes it's in the, uh, in the form of jail. Sometimes it's in the form of even death. But there's opposition to the gospel going forward. But we've seen even in the midst of gospel opposition, the gospel multiplies. People come to know Jesus. And so we're going to see a really similar pattern to the story that we're going to walk through this morning. But again, I believe God has a fresh word for us. I want to pray together and then uh, we're going to dive into Acts 13 together this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that even in a study like this in the book of Acts, we've been walking through this book now for um, months and, and total we're going to be in this book for 11 months. And God, I know for me, it can start to just feel repetitive. It can start to feel like the same thing over and over and over. God, rid us of that this morning. Like, give us fresh eyes to see. Give us a fresh desire for your word. Give us a fresh hunger for your presence now as we walk through an awesome story of your power at work in the lives of believers and your power at work in the lives of those who are far from you. God, we're going to see a great story of your power. And so open our eyes to see this morning. God, by your spirit, for your glory, make this not just, oh yeah, just another Sunday morning, but God, let us see you anew and afresh in your word. And so uh, do that, God, by your power, by your spirit, and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Acts chapter 13, we're actually going to start here in chapter 12, uh, verse 25, just to get a little context for us. And so if you have your Bibles, Acts 12, verse 25, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so if you remember a couple weeks ago, we got to see uh, in the church at Antioch, there was this prophecy. And, and the, the church at Antioch found out there was going to be this great famine in the land. And so they gathered together food and resources and then brought those things to the church in Jerusalem by the hand of Saul and Barnabas. And so Saul and Barnabas are with the church in Jerusalem. They're serving the people there. They're loving the church there. And now they return from Jerusalem. They gather the church together along with the leaders of the church when they return. And, and we don't have time to dive into it, but, but the picture of uh, what the gospel does to bring diversity amongst the body of Christ here is beautiful in this leadership team at the church at Antioch. You have uh, men of, of high social standing and you have men of very little social standing. You have men of, of uh, different ethnic backgrounds. You have men of different skin colors. You have men of different economic backgrounds. And here they are gathered together as leaders of this church in Antioch. The gospel tears down walls and brings people together like nothing else can. And so we see this unified picture of the leadership here at the church and Antioch. And the church gathers together, and what do we see them doing here in verse 2? While they were what? Worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. 
The church at Antioch gathers together, and what do they do? They worship, they fast, they pray, they seek the Lord, and this is significant for us this morning. Because here we see Antioch is a young church. It's a relatively young church at this stage in the game. And, and, and as I read this, I would expect to see maybe some like planning. You know, they're, they're going to cast some vision. They're going to come up with the five-year plan and the 10-year plan. And here's what we want to see God do. And, and we have these great ideas and this great plan. And you don't see any of that. Instead, you see them gather together, worshiping the Lord, fasting seeking after the Lord. You get this sense from them that they're hungry for the glory of God. They're hungry to just be with God. They're desperate for the Spirit to lead. You can, you can envision them saying, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lead and guide. We just want you, God. We want you. And out of this posture of a hungry pursuit of God, God speaks to this church. Out of a posture of this hungry pursuit of God, God speaks And it says, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's amazing that we get to see God speak to this church. The reality for us that we need to understand today is this, God is still speaking. God is still speaking. It's not a matter of if he's speaking, but for for many of us, it's a matter more of am I listening? The first thing we see as we walk through this text together is this. God is still speaking. My response to that, I will listen. God is still speaking. I will listen. I think a lot of us in this room know the first part of this statement. We understand that God is still speaking and when we have God's word here and God speaks through his word and, and, and we get that. But I think oftentimes the question isn't, do I believe God still speaks? The question is, am I listening? For some of us in this room, maybe it's like, I believe God speaks and, and I'm trying to listen, but the real question is how? How can I listen for God to speak? How do I listen to God? We're going to talk about three ways this morning that we can listen to God. Three ways we can listen to God. The first one is this, get quiet. Three ways we can listen to God. Number one, get quiet. I don't think I need to convince any of us that we live in a really noisy world. Um, I often find myself uh, setting my alarm on this thing, this stupid black box that I just have with me everywhere I go. Set my alarm on this and you wake up and you, you turn your alarm off and I wish I could say then I just spend hours just praying first thing and in the word. No, you know what I often do? I'll pull up my email. I'll check ESPN really quick, make sure the Phillies won. I'm checking on some different things. You know, there's some notifications, family texts. And then like I I pop in my headphones and I start going on with my day and I'm I'm jamming out to music and this always happens with these things. They get all tangled up. Um, So I pop in my headphones and, and I'm going throughout my day and, and I'm, I'm, I'm rocking out to music and I get notifications on my phone and I got to make sure I'm, I'm keeping up on Facebook and Instagram and, and Snapchat and Twitter and email and texts. And, and, I, and then I, I go to work and I have lots of things to do at work. And then, and then 
halfway through the day, I got to recheck Instagram because who knows what happened in the last two hours that I just have to find out about. So I pull my phone back out and back on my phone and, and more noise and more noise and I'm getting more notifications and texts and emails and then I get home and what do I do? I pull my phone back out because I got to see who texted me and what's going on and then finally I may decide to just put this thing aside but then we turn the TV on and I got to catch up on my shows and then I got to pull this out and text my friends about the shows that I'm watching that they're watching and see if they caught what I caught. Ah! We live in a loud world. In the midst of it, God is speaking, but so often for me, I miss it because I just can't be quiet. God desires to speak to each and every one of us in this room, but for us, we've got to make the choice to say, get quiet. I would encourage you, and I know for some of you, this might be like, turn this off. Not airplane mode. Don't give me that junk. Turn it off. And just be quiet. Yesterday we had a staff and uh, pastor and elders retreat. And we literally just did an hour of uh, silence. And I turned my phone off. I haven't turned my phone off for a long time. It was beautiful to just be silent with my Bible open and get to hear from God. Three ways we can listen to God. Number one, be quiet. Number two is this. Get hungry. Get hungry. We get this beautiful picture of the church here at Antioch. They're hungry for God. They gather together, and and what do they do? They worship the Lord. They fast. They pray. They desire to be with God. And I love that they desire to be with God with no agenda. They're just hungry for the Lord. I think too often as I look to seek God, what I do is like, hey God, I have my plans here all written out. I have the things that I want to see happen. I have the people that I want to talk to. I kind of have like how my day's going to go. And instead of just going like, uh, God, I, I don't know, like you take, I just go like, hey God, could you just kind of put your stamp of approval on this thing? And I come to God with, with an agenda. I come to God with like, God, I, I want this from you. But instead God just says, just just you. That's all I want. No agenda. Give me the blank sheet. I'll fill it in, and it will be way better than anything I have drawn in there. Get hungry for the Lord, and not what you can get from the Lord, but just to be with the Lord. Get rid of the agenda. Get rid of the mindset of like, God, what can I get from you? And just be with God. Three ways we can listen to God. Get quiet. Get hungry. Pursue the Lord. Open this book and just like get hungry. Pursue him. Be with him. Say, God, I want to hear from you. Speak to me. Speak to me. Get hungry for the Lord. Three ways we can listen to God. Get quiet. Get hungry. And then the last is this. Get ready. I find all too often in my life, like I'm, I'm, I can get my Bible open and I can do all these things, but I'm not like anticipating the Lord to speak. It's kind of just a going through the motions thing oftentimes in my life. I think if we want to listen to the Lord, we want to hear God speak, get ready. Come to him expectant, saying, God, I'm going to expect you to speak. And so that way when you do, I'm, I'm ready to hear from you. I'm quiet. I'm hungry. I'm like pursuing the Lord. And now we can know like, 
I can be ready to hear from him. I'm going to expect God to speak. And when I do, it's, it's, I'm going to have a journal open. I'm going to write some things down. I'm, I'm, I'm going to process through the word. Okay, God, what are you saying to me? How are you speaking to me? Come expectant. Come ready to hear from the Lord. Three ways to listen to God. Get quiet, get hungry, and get ready. God desires to speak to us today. We need to make the choice to listen. We see this beautiful picture here of the church at Antioch, pursuing the Lord, getting quiet. God speaks, and he speaks to Saul and Barnabas, and he says, hey, set, up, set aside for me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work that I have called them to. And notice, that's really all that he says. There's not much direction. There's not much like, hey, go to this place, and then you're going to do this thing. And he just says, set them apart, and I'm going to do a great work in them and through them, but that's all they get. So you got to think Saul and Barnabas are going like, all right, God, maybe like a little bit more than that would be nice. Like, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And we find out here as we continue to read Acts 13, back in the story here in verse 3. God has just spoken. He says, set apart for me these men. And then it says this, then after fasting and praying, they, the church at Antioch, laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And so we see here the Spirit speaks to this church. They say, set aside uh, uh, Saul and Barnabas for me. And, and then you, I, I kind of picture this like, this party's going on. They're like, dude, God just spoke to us. This is awesome. And Saul and Barnabas, you guys are going to get sent out and, and, and God's going to use you to do a great work. And, and now they're, they're fasting and they're praying over them. They lay hands on them and, and Saul and Barnabas are caught up in the excitement and, and they're, they're, they're looking forward to what God's going to do and they send a big send-off party and they're on their way. And I can just picture them like about a mile into the trip. You almost get the sense of like Saul looks over at Barnabas. He's like, hey, Barney. You know where we're going? No, dude, I thought you know where we're going. I don't know. We don't know where we're going. How do they decide? Like, how do they know where to go? I love what they do here. Barnabas is just like, hey, why don't we go to my hometown? So I was like, okay. So they start with what's familiar. I think so often we can get this wrong idea of like the call of God has to be like super uncomfortable. And sometimes it will be. But sometimes God just says, hey, I'm going to call you into what's familiar first. And he does that here with Saul and Barnabas. They hit the road, and we're going to pull up a map here so we can kind of envision and see where they go. And this is significant because here, kind of the, the next half of the book of Acts, we're going to see the spotlight shift pretty heavily uh, onto Saul, also known as Paul. And I can't wait to call him that because it's weird calling Paul Saul, not used to that. So here we're going to actually see for the first time Saul is called Paul. Um, and so Paul, Saul, goes on three missionary journeys in the book of Acts. This is the beginning of his first missionary journey to take the gospel to those who have never heard it. And it's going to be cool throughout the book of Acts. We're going to see this map that you're looking at right now. It's going to be full of arrows to these different towns and cities that Saul goes to with the good news message of the gospel. We're going to see this place pretty well blanketed with the gospel message throughout Saul's three missionary journeys. And so his first one starts like this. We'll go to the next map and you can kind of get a close, kind of a zoomed in picture of where they go. They start in Antioch. They go to this town called Seleucia. Um, and then 
Barnabas again says, hey, why don't we go to my hometown? They say, all right, great, let's go. So they hop on a boat, head over to this island of Cyprus, and then really simply, they just start on the east side and move west. And as they're going, they're sharing the gospel in synagogues, sharing the gospel with people that they get to interact with. It's cool to see here, God has clearly called Saul and Barnabas to a great work. He spoke to them. He said, hey, set them apart. Set them aside for this work that I've called to. And I think my tendency as I read this, it can be easy to read something like this and go, good, like I'm off the hook because I haven't audibly heard God say like, hey, set apart DJ for this great work. And I would say probably not many of us in this room have. And so it can be easy to just gloss over a story like this and say, well, that was them, but it doesn't apply to me. God has called us. And he's called us to this thing called the Great Commission. Jesus, at the end of the book of Matthew, right before he left and ascended into heaven, he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go. Therefore, go and make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples. God has given us a call to live sent. God has called us to go. The reality is this, just as God sent Saul and Barnabas and set them aside for a work, God is still sending us. God is still sending today. And the choice we have to make is, will we go? Our response to God sending is, I will go. God is still sending. I will go. Now, this is one of those things that if you've been with us for this study in the book of Acts, it can start to just feel like a drum that we're hitting over and over and over and over. And you go, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of hearing this whole thing about living on mission, living on mission. Ah, I'm telling you, lean in, lean in. Because for a lot of us in this room, this is not new information, but what we need to wrestle with is what am I going to do about it? Today is the day that maybe you need to make that phone call to the friend you know doesn't know Jesus. And they've been on your mind now for for months as we've been walking through this book and you're just going, I I haven't, I haven't. Today's the day. Let's not just be hearers of the word harvest. Let's be doers. Today is the day. This is not new information. But today, don't leave here starting to go, okay, what am I going to do about this? And I would encourage us this way. Just like Saul and Barnabas start with what's familiar, so too I believe God is calling us to start with what's familiar. Start with the rhythms you have in your life. Ask this question. How can I leverage where God has me and what God has given me for the spread of his gospel? How can I leverage where God has me and what God has given me for the spread of his gospel? I think too often we think of these big things and we say, I got to get rid of this and I got to sell this and I got to move here. And No, 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 no. God's just saying, hey, he has you where he has you. He's given you what he's, what he's given you for the spread of the gospel. How can you start using it? College student, how can you start walking into class and not just seeing it as a place of learning, but as a place of mission for the spread of the gospel? How can you walk into your dorm And start to go like, this isn't just a place that I live. This is a place where I can be a bright, shining light in the midst of darkness. Begin to think through and process through and pray through. God, how can I leverage where you have me and what you've given me for the spread of your gospel? 
Maybe you're single in here and, and God at this season of your life has allowed you maybe to have a bit more time than like families with a bunch of young kids and how can you leverage the season God has you in and the things that God has given you for the spread of the gospel? Maybe you're in here and you have young kids and, and you feel the press of just busy, busy, busy running kids all over. How can you leverage where God has you and what God has given you for the spread of his gospel? I just heard a story yesterday of a, a family over at a, a harvest on the west side. And they started asking this question. They started going, how can we use what God has given us and, and the rhythms we have in our life for the spread of the gospel? And you know what they did? They didn't pull their kids out of all of their sporting events, but instead they went to their sporting events with the mindset of like, these people are going down. We're going to bring Jesus to them. And sure enough, they start sharing Jesus. And they say, hey, you guys need to come to church with us. And so all of a sudden, like, some of these soccer moms and wrestling dads and basketball families, and they start coming to church. And they're sitting there together. And they start hearing the word of God preached. And guess what? Some of them gave their life to Jesus. All because this family said, how can we leverage where God has us and what God has given us for the spread of his gospel? Doesn't mean we have to change everything, but where does God have us now and how can we leverage it? There's another guy in our church who just started, uh, who started just really being convicted by this idea of like, I need to apply what we've been talking about, living on mission. And so he just walks up to people at work and he says, hey, um, do you, is it okay with you if I, share, if, if I uh, just share the gospel with you? That's bold. He says nine out of ten times people will be like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And so in two minutes he'll just kind of share the gospel and be like, do you want to hear more? And he said, eh, eight out of ten times they're like, nope, I'm good. I heard all I need to hear. He's like, okay. But here's a guy who just starts going like, how can I leverage my workplace for the sake of the spread of the gospel? Some awkward conversations? Yeah. Are there some people who kind of like avoid him in the halls now? Yeah. But he doesn't answer to them. He answers to God. And he just started asking, God, what do I have? Where do you have me? And how can I use it for your gospel? I would challenge us this morning. This isn't a matter of new information. This is a matter of how is it going to transform my life walking out of here. What am I going to do about it? Who am I going to talk to? How can we leverage what God has given us and where he has us for the spread of his gospel? And we see here in the book of Acts as we've walked through this story, Saul and Barnabas specifically leveraged where God had them and what God had given them for the spread of the gospel. They answered the call that God had given them, and they went. Now, if you remember the cycle we talked about at the beginning, and we've seen in a lot of these stories, God sends, people go, and, and as they're going, they're sharing the gospel, what often happens? Persecution, opposition. They come up against some opposition to the gospel. And so we're going to see here for Saul and for Barnabas, this isn't just a smooth walk in the park for them. They're going to come up against some gospel opposition. And so let's see what happens. Acts 13, back in it together. Uh, we'll start again in verse 6. So when they, when Saul and Barnabas had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Paul, tell us how you really feel, man. 
And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And so here in this story, as it continues, we're introduced to two new characters. The first one is named Bar-Jesus. We learn a couple things about Bar-Jesus. He's a false prophet. Uh, he works in the, the courts of this ruler of the island of Cyprus, and he's a magician. Um, a lot of uh, studies say that back in those days, a lot of the magic that happened was kind of like demon influence, demon possession. There was some real darkness uh, in the way that Bar-Jesus went about his job. Ironically, his name literally means son of salvation. We see that's not quite the case, but we're introduced to Bar-Jesus. And then we also get to meet this guy, uh, Sergius Paulus. He's the proconsul. Another uh, a way to think about this proconsul would be essentially he's the governor, he's the ruler of that island. He's the person that has been put in place by the Roman Empire to rule and govern over this island called Cyprus. And so we, we learn that Paulus here is a smart guy, he's intelligent, and he's a seeker. He wants to know more about this word of God. And so Saul and Barnabas learn that the governor, the ruler of this island, wants to hear the word of God. And, and when the governor calls and says, hey, I want to learn about Jesus, you go. I don't think Saul and Barnabas sat around like, hmm, we should probably spend a few days like praying about this. You think God wants, like, man, talk about an open door. They, they're like, we're on it. And so they go. They go to Paphos and they begin to share the gospel with Paulus. Now, Bar-Jesus hears the gospel being shared and he steps in and starts to do something about it. Bar-Jesus says, there's no way I want Paulus becoming a follower of Jesus. Why? He sees the writing on the wall and he starts to realize, man, if, my, if, if the proconsul here, if Paulus becomes a Jesus follower, then guess who's out of a job? Bar-Jesus. Guess who loses his social standing and wealth and position of honor in the society? Bar-Jesus. He goes, I don't, this guy's not going to give his life to Jesus, not on my watch. And so he starts opposing Saul and Barnabas as they're sharing the gospel. And again, we see Saul does not mince words, but pretty directly and pretty boldly calls out, Jesus. See, I believe that Saul sees this as a real attack of the enemy. I think what we're seeing here is a physical representation of a very real spiritual battle that's happening in the midst of this courtyard. As the gospel is being shared and the powers of darkness step up and say, no, we're not going, to, we're going to fight with everything we have to keep the gospel from taking root in this man's heart. The powers of darkness are trying everything they can, even right now, to keep the gospel from being heard and to keep the gospel from flourishing. And so the powers of darkness step in and say, no, 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 Saul, you're not going there. And Saul, full of the Holy Spirit, drops the hammer. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? See, Saul sees Bar-Jesus as not just a guy who's trying to oppose a message, but an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, actively trying to keep a man from hearing the gospel. 
Bar-Jesus is trying to keep her a seeker of Jesus from knowing the truth of Jesus. Uh, Bar-Jesus is trying to keep a slave in bondage. He's trying to keep a dead man dead when Paul realizes the message that I have and the person I need to tell you about, he can set you free. He can bring you to life and I will not let this man come in the way of that. Paul knew something that Bar-Jesus didn't. God and his gospel can not be stopped. Paul knew something that Bar-Jesus didn't. The darkness, the enemy, has already been defeated. On the cross of Jesus Christ, he flipped defeat upside down and turned it into victory. And he said, you have been defeated. And Paul knew it and he was able to stand up to gospel opposition because he said, I know what you're trying to do, but my God is bigger, my God is stronger, and my God will overcome. The reality for us today is God is still overcoming. God is still overcoming. And so for us, that means I can stand up against gospel opposition. God is still overcoming, so I can stand up against gospel opposition. Now let's unpack this a little bit. Um, What does this mean? I think it's important for us to understand that. But before we get there, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. This passage is not an invitation to go say whatever you want to whoever you want. Because you're like, well, Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, I mean, he said some really harsh things. And like, if you're not a Jesus follower, I guess you're an enemy of Jesus. So I'm just going to like say whatever I want. This is not an invitation to do that. So what is it? We see Paul here views this as a very real spiritual battle. In that spiritual battle, we will face spiritual opposition. However, when opposition against the gospel comes, we don't have to back down in fear. We don't have to be afraid. Second Timothy says, God did not give us a spirit of what? God did not give us a spirit of fear. When opposition comes, we can stand up to the darkness. We can stand up to the powers of darkness because our God has overcome. This is a passage that ought to skyrocket our confidence in our great God because his plans cannot be stopped. He cannot be overcome. The enemy can take their best shots and God says, I will still win. Scripture is very clear on this. Look at some of these passages. Psalm 33 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands what? Forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Job 42 says that I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 14, for the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? And on and on and on we could go of of passages that reveal to us our God cannot be stopped. And so when spiritual opposition, when gospel opposition comes, we don't have to back down, but we can stand up against gospel opposition. And for some of you, you need to hear this because you're discouraged right now. You're looking out and you're saying, it feels like the enemy is winning. Maybe it's a situation in your family. Maybe it's a situation in your work. Maybe it's a, a, just like a sin in your life that you're just going like, I just can't. I can't let go of this thing. It feels like the enemy is winning. God's word tells us this morning, the enemy, when we're in Christ, cannot win. God has overcome. 
and he's calling us to walk in the power and freedom that his gospel brings. And so even in the face of gospel opposition, I can stand up against it. Not because I'm strong, not because you're strong, but we serve a God who has overcome and is strong on our behalf. We see here in this passage, God is still speaking, so we'll listen. God is still sending, I will go. God is still overcoming, we'll stand up to gospel opposition. And then let's jump in, Acts 13. As Saul and Barnabas stand up to this gospel opposition, we're going to see how it turns out. Because honestly, this could have turned out bad for them. Paulus could have been like, how dare you speak to my magician like that? Out. Gone. You're done. They took a risk. Let's see how standing up to gospel opposition turned out for Saul and Barnabas. Acts 13, verse 12. It says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. See, Saul and Barnabas here stand up to gospel opposition. Paulus, this proconsul, gets to hear the gospel, and then he gets to see a demonstration of the power of God with Bar Jesus being temporarily blinded. And the response is Paulus surrenders his life to Jesus. He says, I believe. What a great picture we see here of God making the one who claimed to have sight blind. So that the one who was spiritually blind could have true sight. Bar-Jesus, who claimed to be able to see, was made blind. While Paulus, this spiritually blind man who was seeking after the truth, was given true sight. He was made alive, rescued by our great God. What God did back then, he still wants to do today. The reality is this, God is still saving. God is still saving. And what's he called me to do in that? Be faithful. God is still saving. What am I to do? Be faithful. Be faithful to do the things God has called us to. Be faithful to listen to the Lord. Be faithful to get quiet, to get hungry, to get ready. Uh, be, be faithful to go. When God says go, be faithful to go. Not just hearers of the word anymore, but doers. Be faithful to go where God has sent us. Be faithful to stand up to spiritual opposition. It will come. It's not a matter of if, but when. As we're, as we're sharing the gospel and we're being bold with our faith and we're going, gospel opposition will happen. But God calls us at the end of the day to just be faithful. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of all the things going on, just listen to the Lord. Go when he calls you to go. Stand up to gospel opposition. And at the end of the day, our job isn't to save anyone. We can't. Only God can. He just calls us to be faithful. He'll take care of the saving if we take care of just faithfully following him. And so this morning, we're going to end our time together being able to just get quiet. We're going to end our time together by being able to take communion together. And so if you're serving communion, you can go ahead and make your way to the back. But I think for me, as I was uh, working through this text and processing through what what God was doing in my own life, um, I kept coming back to like, I want to listen to the Lord. I want to listen to the Lord more. And I want to come to him with no agenda. I just want him. I just want to be with him. And so we're going to have some time to do that. As we close this morning, the band's going to come out. Uh, there'll be a little bit of music going on, but no words. Uh, we're not going to be singing. It's just going to be a time to like, sit in some quiet and just reflect. 
get our eyes on Jesus together. To be amazed again afresh and anew at the great saving work of what Jesus has done on the cross as he was buried and then rose again. And so I would encourage you to use this time to pursue some quiet with the Lord. Maybe have your Bible open. Allow God to speak to you through his word. Maybe just quiet and just just pray into the Lord. But use this time as we prepare our hearts to take communion together to just get quiet. Use this time to process maybe where is God calling you to go? And let today be the day that you finally say, enough with just hearing about it. Today's the day I'm going to do it. Maybe for you, you're discouraged in a a spiritual battle and today's the day you need to walk out of here going like, God is the victor. I can stand up to gospel opposition in my life. So wherever God is leading you during this time, let's use these next few minutes to just get quiet, to prepare our hearts to take communion together. Um, You'll see just as those trays pass by, if you need a gluten-free option, you'll see some of those in the middle of those trays. And so let's just spend some time quieting our hearts before the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you for who you are that you are a God, that we can read stories like this and see that those weren't things that just happened back then. But you're still doing these things today. God, may that encourage us in our faith. May that encourage us in our walk with you that you're not the God of only yesterday. You're the God of yesterday, today, and forever. You remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, use that to encourage our souls. And and now, God, I pray that we would just be able to do some business with you as we quiet our hearts. God, reveal to us areas of, of sin that we just need to lay at your feet. We want to sit in a moment of just quiet and be able to reflect on your grace and mercy in our life. So we praise you for it. We pray it on Jesus' name.